0: I feel strongly that I'm standing in the middle of a medicine wheel and I'm guardian and keeper of 24. My, um, my genetic keys are aligned to Huki, HU meaning the divine, and key meaning the keys to my venturinal grandmother who passed when I was 15. Um, she had an ongoing love affair, talk about who's doing what to whom when, with um, Jesus. And she was unschooled. She came from Finland when she was 18 years old with her 19-year-old cousin with the $100 gifted to her by her brother, Ailey, who was working in Pukasa in northern Ontario in a logging camp. And my mummu came... She looked like a, a little, short, pudgy Eskimo, what other people would call Eskimo or Inuit in the northern Canada areas. And uh, she was the one who carried the lineage for the Summe in our bloodline. So we are the reindeer people through my mummu. And her love was this forgiveness. Her love was this ability to uh, experience the perpetration of much abuse from my uh, very enta- entangled um, and toxic grandfather. But no matter how much she was abused, she would forgive. And her ability to transcend through that love, through that unconditional universal love, is something that I, as a grandchild, was attracted to. I didn't understand why she could be so happy making pizzas and cookie trays for our family hotel until later on when I was doing shamanic initiations and journeying, I saw that her focus was always on the face of Jesus was always on the face of forgiveness. So every single piece of pepperoni put into that little square called a pizza square that was sold upstairs in the hotel went with that absolution, the absolution that came from my grandmother, and which I now know as a grandmother is the gift of women, that women can give the gift of absolution, of absolute forgiveness. And uh, to confirm that, many, many years ago I was channeling Amachi, Shri Amachi from India, the hugging saint. I was in, um, just outside Toronto, Ontario, and I was in a quandary as to take the drive all the way into Toronto and line up with the hundreds of other people to be hugged, or would I be willing to be a conduit for that frequency and just ask her what was the message. And I asked her as she was hugging all of those hundreds of people, and her spirit came and said, you know... Only a woman can absolve, and there's nothing in this universe that a woman cannot forgive. Nothing. Now, just really pay attention to that. There's nothing in this universe that a woman cannot forgive. So if you look at the current state of affairs, and you look at who's doing what to whom, and what are the cries coming from the children, and coming from babies, and coming from our creature teachers, that even this is forgivable, And that is the path of the Morning Star, that is the path of Venus, that is the path of uh, Uranus, that it is the path of interplanetary dispensations for the Earth and the purpose of Earth. That Earth is our garden, that we have the medicine to grow everything that can be given to someone who has tainted our waters, who pollutes the air, who abuses our children who puts pornography on internets and prostitutes a divine feminine? That we as women are inculturating the possibility now in this planetary field to give medicine called absolution, to give the medicine that is the forgiveness. Um, so, that's a little bit about what I'm about. The best way that I work with my clients is to reflect and contemplate, as this reading says, to contemplate on my past and to bundle up the wisdom. So to look at ages and stages in my life on that wheel and to take each experience like a stick, like a branch off my tree, and to bundle it up and say, well, that was my lesson, that was the teaching, and there's no blame, no shame, no complaint. And, and so that's how I work with my clients. My clients come right now. My, most of my clients are master students. They're well-educated. They're North American women in the conflicts of the flow of the river of the past and the river of the future, and they don't know how to navigate that deep emotional turmoil. They often get caught up in the pain bodies of their own ancestors, and they take things personally. They get triggered Um, That first, second, third chakra is is expressing right now on the planet. They don't know how to ask for sanctuary. They don't know how to ask for refuge, and they certainly don't know the steps to radical forgiveness through radical acceptance. And so my client group comes to me through my venues. I get invited to gatherings, to uh, festivals. Only certain festivals will I go to. I learned my lesson by going through a couple of portals at festivals that I realized were askew and as a result created a murder of one child and a murderer out of another. But the reality right now is my focus is on family. My focus is on these women mastering within themselves their own menstrual mystery, their own blood times, their own 13 moon calendar, their own return to something beyond the chronology of computers and watches. And as these women step into that inner mystery, that first, second, and third chakra, and they spiral into their own body and get founded and grounded, then they become amazing partners for men who have either overprovided, abandoned, abused, um, neglected, and really haven't been initiated or trained by beautiful priestesses and medicine women. And so this turning of times is a turning of the emotional tide on the planet. It is a time when women must come back to the receding nature of a male predominant paradigm where I need daddy's approval or I'll die, I need to have a man or I won't feel complete. This externalization of a male authority is now coming into the divine feminine as a marriage of purpose of the feminine and the masculine. So that zero-point mark is where we meet. We meet in that I'm no longer identifying with my gender. I'm no longer identifying with his gender. I'm identifying as nothing. And so this mother of nothing is the ultimate potential, and she's rising, and she's rising through this ascension process through these different portals or gateways. And so I take my clients on a journey with drum, smudge, uh, feathers, rattles, and support their first and foremost indicators that they're in distress, levels of toxicity. How can I support their um, entrance way through denial? Through, yes, I need your help. Yes, I need a grandma. Yes, I need a shaman grandma. Yes, I need someone fiercely like a jaguar who's willing to stick with me as I go through this process and end my externalization and come into my re empowerment of myself and go back down. To that descent, to that zero point. Uh, so it's exciting. I'm 68 years old, and I am about to leave in two and a half weeks to South America, to Lake Titicaca, Bolivia, and sit on the island of the sun and the island of the moon, and bring this star nature there with an 89-year-old Quechua uh, grandmother who I bow down before. She is my elder and my teacher on this journey. And a 55-year-old maestra of the Apus, a woman who is just 10 years down from the the 14,000-foot altitude living now in a village. And uh, believe you me, I'm having to get in shape. I'm huffing and puffing coming up and down this little island hills. And, and I have to really, really um, get strong in order to breathe in that altitude and prepare for my descent into that altitude and to really listen with great humor and humility to listen to what the teachings are of these star women, these women who've been carrying medicine from the mountains. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a little bit about what I do, who I do it with, how I do it, and why I do it, and how I'm continuing to do it. (laughs) My genetics is actually on my mother's side from northern Finland, northwestern Finland, Olu and the Hukila, and the reindeer people, so the question is not so much how they get tangled up with the Finlanders, it's how did the Mongolians migrate to Siberia through Tuvan and Buryatia and then survive, some of them going over the top of northern Russia into Finland, Sweden, and Norway, and now have their own Sum nation and their own summit parliament? And how did I receive those transmissions ought to be another question. And then another part of our lineage crossed the land bridge from Russia to Alaska, and became Inuit and then some of that genetic migratory path went all the way to Patagonia and the tip of South America. The important thing to do is to be aware that we're living these spiritual laws now and so my elders, Sequoia Trueblood and my abuela Margarita, um, there are many elders that I've sat with. We've dreamed each other through resonance and frequency And so the migratory path of the Hopi made it all the way to northeastern Quebec, 35 kilometers outside of the capital of Canada, Ottawa, to our village when I had a sweat lodge and a teepee there. And the Hopi peace pipe came in the shape of a heart. And we got to smoke that peace pipe. And so this migratory path is a resonance. It's a magnet, and women have the magnet. So the Virgin de Guadalupe the white buffalo calf woman, the virginous attitude of my grandmother from northern Finland, the imaginal knowing that no matter how much sex we have, the reality is there's always a virginous moment. If we can engage in a spiritual intercourse, first and foremost with our highest truth, that we can absolve and clear the channels for creating a new species on planet Earth, through that return to the virginist attitude, through that purification. So the Hopi Peace Pipe was a way of purifying the heart in our teachings. And then I received Lakota teachings because my Annalie Golden Woods, my Reiki master artist, came and built my first sweat lodge on our land for us, and she was being guided by Eugene from Pine Ridge, long distance. It was one of her initiations that could she attune to her elder in Pine Ridge, in the Dakotas, in the Black Hills of the Lakota people, and would she be accurate in transmitting the instructions of how to build that sweat lodge so that the star formation was perfect? And uh, we were a little cutsy, but the Lakota teachings were transmitted, and she prophesied that my sweat lodge would be one for universal sacred laws. And, and so in that klutzy building, within three weeks a correction happened, Archie Lamedeer sent a teacher of his from Midi-France, a grandmother, who came with her son and actually looked at my sweat lodge and said, if I, if I had known how off-kilter this lodge was, I would have come five days ago. So we were, you know, it's the path of journeying as a grandmother and having been in service to elders and grandmothers and grandfathers is a path of great humility. We are, we're humiliated. We're corrected. We, we need to get down on our knees and give thanks for those of us who've been willing to be corrected. And so she had the lodge literally picked up, turned according to her inner compass, and she taught us how to build an Apache Sulakota fire which at that time I looked up at our great cedar trees and I looked at the oak and I thought, you know, Grandma, if you're going to build that fire and it's going to be 10 feet high, you're going to start burning some of our forest even though we're on the edge of a little lake. So I didn't trust in those first days of my initiations the teachings of my elders. I didn't know how powerful it was. And she said, you know, in French, perfect French, she said, no, no, don't you worry, don't worry, this is going to be fine. And with an hour and a half, we had rain soaking our trees. And that fire was high. And those grandfathers came into our lodge hot. And so the path of a grandmother and the path of someone carrying this lineage and carrying these teachings is a willingness to surrender to direct transmission. It's a willingness to say, as a Lakota to say, to tenkashala, to creator. In Finnish we say yumala. To the creator, you know, let us be clear instruments and channels for what it is that needs to be offered through the lodges, the circles, the councils, in building that fire and serving the people who come to our circles and tipis. And so this path has been one of resonance and sacred laws and a teaching that has now at 68 been accumulated and wrapped up into a bundle that can now serve the transmission of North America through Central America through the Quetzal and the Coetle down, um, down into South America. And this is the first time that my feet in this lifetime have been uh, really destined to walk uh, along those Reed, the Reed Islands on Lake Titicaca, the highest freshwater lake on this planet, and then to go down into the Sacred Valley and the Cusco that's known as the umbilicus of the universe and to give teachings on authentic abundancia and a return to feminine wisdom. So, yeah, it's a a good life. (laughs) It is the Virgin. So there is an equivalent. The Kalavala is actually an accumulation of stories, and in all of our indigenous traditions, it's important to remember the stories were usually accumulated by grandmothers, who, when we got older, we would sit around the fire no matter where we were on the planet, and we would observe and create stories that were then passed on to the grandchildren. So the kalava is a collection of stories, and one of the stories is very similar to the Essene teaching of the Gnostic Bible, which was the Virgin Mary in the Essene teaching, was, um, was had intercourse with a God energy, and out of her virginousness created Jesus. Well, we have the same thing in the Kalavala that there is a woman who was uh, brought to a stable in a barn and gave birth to a child without having physical intercourse with a male human being. And, and so that child becomes the savior. It becomes the redeemer. It becomes the acknowledger that a woman can be this pure in her intents. And purity is definitely one of my qualifications and qualities so pure in her intent and her love that she can offer absolution through her son uh, to the rest of creation the execution brings up the paradigm that is in our RNA that is cleared through sound and cleared through vibration and that execution by those who persecute us execution that makes us victims is a resonance and a field frequency that is now leaving which is why the gatherings are so important, which is why my journeys are so important, which is why my intercultural, intergenerational healing is so important, because that paradigm doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, and so I, in this lifetime, have been excluded from several of my bloodline relatives' um, communications simply because I'm carrying this. And as Amachi gave me several years ago, this too is forgivable. And this too must be forgiven. And so, like water, our forgiveness flows in that universal path around those who still hold grudges and judgments, around those who are unwilling to open to receive, and it hits the next generation's. And so, for instance, in my family, my sister and brother are still struggling with judgments about our mother who left the farm in 2005, and with a a sizable estate, which I was the major beneficiary of, and now I want to make a correction, major beneficiary of the spiritual as well as the material. And so, in their hanging on, clinging, and grasping, they're creating their own suffering. But my willingness to absolve and to forgive is going through them to my brother's daughter, Melissa, and through them to my next generation of nieces and nephews. And now with my son, he is the reconciliation in this lineage, so he is shining like a bright star in the sky, and what he gives me is gratitude. So this mother-son reconciliation resolution is a flowing of tides, both backwards and forwards. And I may not see the actual resolution uh, beyond what I'm experiencing now, although my prayer is that it does evolve into a full family reunion and reconciliation and, and is an example of what families can do for each other. And I'm still willing, without attachment to outcome, to continue to forgive, to continue to name, continue to feel great empathy to end the violence of execution, end the violence of exclusion, end the violations of judgment that are very subtle and for sensitives can actually hurt babies, can actually hurt children, and can create an atmosphere that can, when the baby absorbs that, the baby can grow up into a child with diseases. And, and so our work is really to bring us back to that virginous consciousness that says this too is forgivable, This too, I forgive, and to work with children, to work with babies, to touch our grandchildren, to wrap ourselves up in this larger embrace, this shawl of comfort and ease, and and bless babies. Even bless—I walk around blessing, if not with my mind, one-mindedness, with my hands. I bless mummies' pregnant bellies. And I bless their water, the original waters that these fetuses are being held in, because waters carry a momentum that takes that baby down through the birth canal, out through the vagina, into the arrival, into this sometimes culture shock of hospitalized births rather than natural water births. And so in this quandary of how do we bridge the past to the future, The inquiry can be, how can we make birth more natural? How can we help women to give up the attachment to externalization and experts called obstetricians and gynecologists, many of whom are men who have never had babies? and who therefore are more in observant mode and more in objectification rather than the true empathy of, honey, I know what it's like. I've held a baby in my belly for nine months, and I know what it's like to labor and delivery. That empathy is what women can give to the planet right now. I don't have a consciousness about that. I read parts of the Kalavala when I was young in my 20s in retreat on our family land in North Ontario on Lake Superior and uh, I don't have a remembering of that, but I feel in my body the truth of that because I can feel the zero point and I can feel that that's why I channel this pulse that comes up from billions of years of Earth life and why it's familiar for my body to experience in different um, territories the ancientness of the rock Uh, why I used to put myself on rocks and put my third eye on the rock, Uh, why I still go to trees and rather than doing Tantra, I've been trained by the Tibetans in Tantric teachings, why I go to the trees after I do a lot of computer work or I, I was in this little village today which is all of 700 people and on the cormorant island just off the coast of northern Vancouver Island, but I go to trees during the day, and I line myself up to the vertical ascension of the teaching of tree. Uh, So, you know, what you're offering is really important for the listeners to understand that listen to the resonances, listen to the vibraciones, listen to the frequency of how someone speaks to you, that that the tonal quality is your first indicator of, is that an ally? Is that person a potential client? Is that person a potential student? Is that person apprenticing to the medicine of this planet? I, you know, and I'll give you another example of the magnet of women, and it's in that second chakra. It's in the womb, and it's how we build that life force in the womb. I was tenting for uh, three seven weeks in total this summer. I love to tent, and I was tenting at a specific Port Hardy recreational vehicle and tenting site. Oftentimes, I was the only person in a tent. And needless to say, at the northern tip of Vancouver Island, there's a lot of what we call senior citizens. And I don't identify as a senior citizen. I identify as an elder, as a grandmother. And so one day, this wonderful white hair, I call her the white hair woman across from me in this probably $150,000 RV, came across to me and said, I really feel guilty. And I looked at her and I said, but grandmother, why would you feel guilty? And she said, because you get up every morning really happy climbing out of this tent. And I said, "Why? Well, I am really happy. It's $5. I paid $19 for my steam kettle that I come and plug into your, your little hookup here. And I'm thanking you for letting me boil my water. And I said, grandmother, tell me what it is. You know, what are you a grandmother of? And she's like five children, 11 grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren. So I bowed and I said, you're my elder, you're my grandmother, you know, so you have a great story, so tell me your story. And I sat there and I listened, and I listened to the stories. And in that moment in listening, honoring, and respecting, there was a resonance and frequency that pulled out of her. It invoked from her deep inner space an acknowledgement beyond guilt, That place of absolution, that place of that that guilt took her into the conversation, but the absolution cleared it up. And her heart was pure and shining as she went through her own genealogy and her own contribution to the planet. And and then I looked at her and I said, well, you know, I really truly don't need leather seats in an RV. I can travel much more lightly with this. And so that's your choice and this is my choice. And in that, the freedom to choose with Out judgment is the healing between women, between generations, and between worlds. And that's a real gift to be able to give give humanity at this point in my life. And that's what I give to my clients and my students. I want to go back to what Mark was saying, that the Virgin de Guadalupe, a hundred years ago, what was going on, and I was doing a little math very easily, That So, 100 years ago from 2016 would have been 1916, and that would have been the time when my mother's father was taken back to Finland by his father, so my great-grandfather Joni brought his family back to Finland to fight the Russians, and uh, the great the great ability of the Finns, we call it sisu, and it's not translatable. The closest word would be courage and endurance in the face of. But what the Finns did was dress in white like camouflage, and they hid behind the birch trees, and they hid in the snow, and they had created uniforms that were so warm that they could stay for hours in that encapsulated uniform and stay warm, and then surprise the Russians who... Marched towards them standing up, whereas the fins were on the bellies. And, and my grandfather had the job, which actually created PTSD, and that I cleared with my son, had the job of keeping his two younger brothers quiet under the, the kitchen floor in the dark. While his father was out fighting, his mother was going to the local village to do laundry, to try to maintain some semblance of family during a war. And my grandfather had to keep those two little boys entertained in the dark because candlelight would often go out. And so when he resurrected himself at the at the end of a day, he was brought back into the evening back into starlight. So my grandfather, in many ways, and I always, I always loved my grandparents. I was one of those kids that sat with my chin at the edge of kitchen tables watching them. My grandfather, in many ways, duplicated shamanic training that when I realized that the Kogi, the Kogi elders trained the future shamans of the Kogis by putting the kids into dark caves. <laughs> For like nine years, years, I think. <laughs> yeah. For years, so my grandfather was a natural shaman, but unfortunately, that gift wasn't fully passed on because he went from from Finno-Russian War back to Canada, went and worked in the lumber camps. Um, met my grandmother, by the way. Uh, she was one of three cooks amongst eighty men in a logging camp at Pukasa in North Ontario and came back to Sault Ste. Marie pregnant for my mom, and my grandpa went to work in the chrome plant. And in those years, we didn't understand that working in the chrome plant, in the steel plant, in in the, um, the inco mines of nickel in Sudbury, that these people were heavy metal toxified, and they manifested different mental disturbances, and people just misunderstood them. They misjudged them. They... You know, they they thought they were crazy, and, and really they weren't crazy. They were toxic, and I was one of those kids with the eyes of innocence looking with the heart of my grandmother who would look at my grandfather. In, no matter what my mother said about him, I would look with unjaundiced eyes and a deep heart and wonder how that guy could drink coffee as thick as can be and put two sugar cubes between his two front teeth and suck coffee out of a cup until later on when I was a teenager, he had just stumps of front teeth, and he would just suck coffee up. So, yeah, we have a lot of qualifications to be here as shamans and medicine people. Well, I'm known as the fierce grandma when I go to festivals because I walk across the field with my spirit family and my medicine family and, and uh, we walk together in oneness, you know, it's it's that, the path of the arrow, it's like the archer, you know, it's like the ancestors set us spinning on a field like an arrow and I would be at the front of four, five, or six, sometimes ten young people, and we'd walk across the field and occupy it. And we hit wow. the target of the kitchen, and we get fed at free food, and then we'd turn around, and next thing you know, there'd be four or five people that are in need and, and need to have a map to navigate whatever the emer- emotional turmoil is. And so, yeah, I'm funny. I, I'm outrageous. I'm bold. I don't have any doubt about those qualifications. But more importantly... I have the fierceness to be able to see into and around the person what's needed in the moment. And can we as a team or a family step in and serve a bigger picture? And so that's, yeah, I do a lot. I laugh a lot because the business is so serious. (laughs) There's a lot happening, yeah. Yeah. We're looking for keepers of wisdom. We're looking for guardians of earth. We're looking for stewards of the lands. We're looking for elders and medicine people. And it's really important to remember that this is a genetic predisposition. So I'm a bloodline woman chief. And my bloodline was tracked by grandmother um, Georgina Blondin from the Northwest Territories when I had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, and so that's that number 14, Mark, that the Creator gave me a lot of gifts, which I will answer your question in a minute, but the Creator also gave me a challenge that I could see as an opportunity or a disease. And had I believed that that was a disease according to the allopathic view, I would not be on this show today. Had I trusted my early initiations in medicine, in light, and in unconditional love, which I did, then I was able to reverse the diagnosed date in January to March, the end of March, the diagnosis was completely shifted, that the blood, the leukocytes were cleared, and that configuration has not reoccurred, although I experience indicators of when to pull back, go hug a tree, get out of cell phones and out of computers you know, get some more nettles down my throat. So the, that is a consequence of listening to the indicators. And I want people to really get that, that this is the consequence of a lifetime of commitment without temptations for approval or a need to belong to something that doesn't make sense. So when did I first get that initiation? My paternal grandmother, Fanny Amanda Niemenin, passed when she was 49 on July 11, 1949. And so in that leaving, I was the first and only grandchild that she ever held, and she died the same night that she had been babysitting me. And she died in the second-floor suite of rooms in our Nicolette House Hotel, which is also a boarding house, mostly for Finlanders. Our Finnish community is known for, like your family, Blue Water, it's known for sponsoring, helping immigrants, helping people get back on their feet when they're coming across those oceans. And so when my grandmother died, I had, there was something that went on in the emotional tonal quality of my mother and father, and something happened. So I turned one July 18th, seven days afterwards. In seven days, I turned one, that vibration of one. By the end of August, I was standing in my playpen in the laneway looking up at the top of the first floor of the hotel, my grandmother's room, and it was on the second floor. My mother was hanging laundry. The sun rose over the second floor, and there was a light, an energetic, unfulfilled potential that went from my grandmother's suite of rooms into the sunlight and a complete absorption of that light. And then the rays of the light hit my mother, and they hit me. And it was as though that was the ending of any incarceration of, of experiencing the physical body as, well, this is all I am. No, I am not a physical body. I am hit by this lightning. I am hit by the thunder of my, my grandmother's spirit, and I am meant to carry this forward. What also happened, Mark, curiously enough, from that point on, when I was older, I loved hanging laundry on clotheslines. I didn't like to put laundry in dryers. <laughs> I had associated in my one-year-old consciousness that my mother's unconditional love for me was so much that she was hanging our laundry out to dry on that line. And that any time that I wanted to express my love, it was, go get the laundry hang it up on a line, look out at whatever it is that we're doing and realize that this is love for family. This is the love of the mother for the child. And so that was my first initiation. And if you interview other healers, if you interview other shamans and medicine people, you'll find as you track their timeline back and then forward that they all have those kinds of initiations. First, to the light and love of an ancestor. Second, they have a challenge And that challenge can be a life-threatening disease if someone believes that, or if they view it from the point of view of the light, that this is simply a configuration. And for me, that was a configuration. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was a configuration. And that it was a challenge and I had been given everything as major beneficiary of my mother's spirit and her material capacities. I was given everything that I needed In those two and a half months probably less than two and a half months to turn that diagnosis around so welcome to the leaving the leaving of victim persecutor rescuer the leaving of duality marks reading about polarities of uh, negative and positive Uh, the Buddhist stance that I've been trained in is to take the neutral mind It's neither good nor bad, right, nor wrong. It just is. Just be with it and just do what needs to be done. Hey! (laughs) I guess that makes me a Buddhist because that's been my attitude for many years. Yeah. Well, it makes you Buddha-minded. It makes you conscious of, of sitting in the Buddha belly. One of the realizations I had in the 90s when I was with this, my second partner and who really had an acknowledgement of my vision and my teaching and knew that there was a gender issue that we could heal together, we created a couple of sojourns and we created the sweat lodge and the TP for women. One of the things that I realized was that if I didn't practice my Reiki, I had been initiated in Baca, Colorado in 1988 to mastery. If I didn't practice, I would get sick and die. I actually had that experience in my Reiki clinic. You know, uh, you know, it's too beautiful outside. I want to go out and trek the bush. And I want to be climbing the mountains. I don't want to be... Uh, blah, 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 blah. All of the excuses that kept me from that table. And when I stood there empty-tabled, but hands on either side, I realized if I did not give hands-on to myself, to my partner, to my children, to my clients, to my students, that I would die. And so I want to give that to you as a heads-up. Even if you have level one, the first commitment or the vow of level one is self-love, self-care. Self-love, self-care. There's 28 hand positions that you can give on yourself. You can find it online and you can give to yourself. And diabetes is reversible, by the way. It's a configuration and a signature that is reversible in 30 days. If you take a look at Tree of Life in Patagonia, Arizona. Arizona made up a new state, Arizona. Uh, Dr. Gabriel Cousins produced a documentary called Reversing the Signature for Diabetes in 30 Days. And it's zero-point therapy, by the way. It's, the, it's actually called zero-point therapy the oneness is important as in terms of prophecy that my um one of my mentors margaret fields keen was working in swaziland voluntarily for four to six months of the year for six years and then she left swaziland in the mid-90s and um her big thing was to look at everyone in divine order Her big thing was to look at the Sangomas and ask for their teachings and they threw the bones and they prophesied that the oneness would come and the inquiry was, what were the indicators of the oneness? And the indicators were that see first that the oneness is already here. Act as though the oneness is already here. Smell, taste, feel, and know that the oneness is already here. And that was the divine order. And the reason she left Swaziland was because men believed in the cultural prerogative. Even if they were diagnosed with HIV positive and/or AIDS, they still took sexual partners and spread the disease. And she left because the men refused to listen to the divine orders and the divine oneness of holy women and holy mothers. So, welcome to the oneness of women. <laughs> The vision that I'm having right now is really amusing. Remember the the marbles games that we used to play? I'm having this vision of this huge cosmic plane and all of these planets like mar- marbles, different sizes, and this whole, and some creator, great big finger, is just tweaking all these planets, moving them. <laughs> all around this great central sun and this intelligence that has a divine accord that is beyond anything that we can prophesy. It, it's, it's like, what are the combinations and permutations required to have that elder's prophecy come true? What are the combinations and permutations and influences that we can have currently on this planet if we're living self-fulfilling prophecies and changing the evolutionary codes and keying into accessing our infinite possibility What is the possibility of creating an enlightened society here? And pockets of humanity are already dedicated to that. Pockets of humanity are already completely healed, holding a hologram. And some of the kids call me the hologram, the grandmother of the whole. And what would happen if those pockets are actually infusing this conversation right now? What would happen if those vibrations are coming horizontally into this broadcast and through this podcast, we are horizontally going around the planet with a gold and silver light, healing the masculine, healing the feminine, raising the vibration and frequency and the value of children, bringing a platinum ray birthed here on planet Earth, saying children are the future. So no matter where we came from, no matter if Venus comes in, Morning Star comes in, and it's already emanating in energy, and there are times on the astrological scope of things where Venus comes in with unconditional love. There are also times when Mars is habituating our consciousness. And yes, I, I really believe that my parents' lineage came from Mars. I naturally tend to be a warrior. And what would happen if we open the scope and not just look at planet Earth and Mars and Venus but open the scope to look at Uranus, look at Arcturus, the Midway Station, look at Jose Argulis' work on the Mandala, on the Telectaton and the big pictures, and look at cosmic consciousness as our prevalent wind, that the wind of choice and change now is that we're cosmic. That We're, we're actually galactic citizens. We've actually accessed, when we're away a way 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 in the indigenous culture and the wild wilderness when we can access these which is what elders give us then we're actually bringing down codes and keys that are not about struggle for survival on earth but about evolution cooperation collaboration with other planetary interdimensional beings wow the star nation <laughs> yeah end of diabetes end of high blood pressure I'm a priestess in the order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was Malki. Prince of Malki was the overlighting energy for the Christ energy to come into the planet through Holy Mother Mary. And so as a priestess in the order of Melchizedek, I'm one of those... Uh, one of the gifts that I have in my glyph as a star being is the ability to tune into an over energy. And, and so it's like not to get hooked into diagnosis or analysis or... Um, but to actually look at the overlighting potential or the divine body or the infinite possibility that lives around a person and then to bring that in as a quanta, as a configuration, as a symbol or a key or a code and to superimpose it on the physical body and just see what happens. Well, I want to point something out to you, both of you, that Virginia Satir actually created something in family reconstruction called Parts Party, and she invited people. And many people have done this. She invited people to come to dress as different parts of our personalities, without diagnosing it as schizophrenic multiple personalities, and you know, going into that. Horrible dictionary that psychiatrists maintain as their reality. And she actually created opportunities for people. Now, imagine this that imagine if Blue Water had his family reconstructed with several of them manifesting and expressing their parts, which he now inherited. The inheriting, well, even to have that accident, you know, that like an accident has a specific purpose. And to have diabetes, that has a specific function. But what if the parts all came together and spoke to Blue Otter as he lay down on a family table, and they put their hands on different body parts, and they sounded and resounded and released him from some unspoken expression of the ancestors? Oh, by like, the just, way, um, Yeah. Maybe you understand. That's a concept. I, I just want to say, I, I don't have diabetes. I said I didn't have it. I just oh. some pressure. Okay. All right. But we have lots of indigenous listeners who have diabetes. You know, one of the things that I met today on this little island was uh, a family across the road from where I was called Culture Shock. I was in this beautiful little coffee indigenous art shop and she was saying that her cousin across the road had diabetes and she was frustrated and she went to drinking instead of getting some resolution with it. So I'm just pointing out that the theta, to change the brain wavelengths, to change the qualities and states of consciousness, is an ability inherent in the infinite human being the divine hue, the divine being, is infinitely capable of doing all kinds of things. And yes, we created Adolf Hitler. Yes, we created Mussolini. Yes, we created Franco. But we also created the Helsinki Peace Treaty, where the premier of Russia came with the president of Finland naked in a sauna bath in Helsinki and signed the peace treaty. And and so, you know, now we have currently a... a on his last, in his last times, we have Obama, and who would have guessed that we'd ever have a black president in the United States, who within his first couple of years of service to the United States of Consciousness, was recipient to the Nobel Peace Prize. So think about that, you know, the human potential is yet to be tapped, and if we create families, where women are empowered to realize from the moment of conception that we're bringing in a new species on planet Earth. These are the star children, the crystal children. These are the ones that are Venusian and loved. These are the ones that have the warrior strains and the genetic codes from the time when Martians walked on this planet. These are the ones who are the medical... the urancias, the great ones that are coming in at this time of crisis to know how to change emergency because we're tuning into the overlighting energy. We're not getting so caught up in diagnosis and assessment of the 3D life because it's a limitation. So we women are really holding the two of you men and all of you men in this place of opportunity. We are your source. For more women to reach the zero point, we are the unconditional love. We are the virgins. We can return through that state of consciousness into this moment of nothingness and create out of this nothingness a new relationship with everything on this planet. And that's my, that's my deep heart knowing. If I have a prophecy, it's that. Women need to come together to initiate these conversations and to vibrate these frequencies into the ocean around this planet. The thing that we need to remember is, number one, I want to thank the great kahunas of Hawaii because, Mark, what you're referring to is opono opono. You know, in this and all other lifetimes, I pray that if I or any of my ancestors have done anything to hurt you or your ancestors, I'm truly sorry. Thank you for this opportunity, and I really deeply love you. And, and so that affects the Gaian field, the morphological resonance around this field. And quantum physics proves that we're actually field aware, that we need to not so much be focused on the tree, we need to focus on the space around the tree and the space around the forest in order to repopulate uh, the four-legged, swinged ones, and the creepy crawlies. Um, and yes, it's been done. Masaru Emoto and the Hado Project, bless grandfather Masaru Emoto, he's on the other side now he proved with his electronic microscope that you can impress um, water with intention and so prayer impresses the airs impresses the water the flame and the fire that lights the tatuari, the grandfather that heats up the rocks for our sweat lodges all of those prayers with tobacco, with the chinupas with ceremonies, they all influence the atmosphere, the particles are all influenced and all touched and today when I was leaving this little Alert Bay Village, the woman said her, her mother tongue, her language, this is the Nipski people here on Cormorant Island, and she, I asked her, what does that mean? What did you just say? And she said, I said, may my breath and yours be one. And that's like mahalocha, you know, there's never a goodbye. We're all particles in this universe. And we're all breathing the same air. And in this broadcast, we're breathing into the listener's atmosphere, influencing and charging people with the possibility that they need to inquire beyond diagnosis, beyond judgment, beyond their perception of fear, loss, and death, which is a great illusion, to the possibility that they're healers, that they're teachers, that they're messengers, and they have important pieces to give to the planet right now.